0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's episode 70 of the Equalizer podcast. Dan Lolletta with Chelsea Bush after a three-game weekend in the NWSL, which also followed a couple of midweek games. Let's get you updated on the scores, at least from the weekend action. We had North Carolina rallying to defeat Utah for the first time, two to one. Kristen Hamilton, a goal and an assist on the game winner. Chicago took care of Seattle for nothing. That one was uh, actually Rain FC it was in Tacoma. They still abbreviated SEA, which doesn't make it easy to not use Seattle sometimes. That game was in Tacoma. And then Houston defeated Sky Blue 1-0 in a battle between the teams that lost midweek games, New Jersey to the Washington Spirit and Houston to the Portland Thorns. Chelsea, hope you had a nice weekend. And uh, my thought as I sit here at the end of it, is that after a first half of the NWSL season, where it seemed like literally seven teams were going to knock each other around, we now have a little bit of separation in the table.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you can, you very clearly are starting to see the ones who are going to be contending for those four playoff spots and the ones that, that just aren't going to make it, even though technically nobody's out yet. And I would actually go so far as to divide them into Kind of kind of three tiers of definitely going to make the playoffs, fighting for that final s- playoff spot, and then just not great teams.
0: All right, so then I have to ask, are, Did have the Red Stars convinced you that they are definitely going to make the playoffs, or are they in the second tier? Obviously, Thorns and Courage are at the top.
1: I would put the Red Stars with the Thorns and the Courage. I, I think that, that they're strong enough. They've, they've put together enough wins they have it in them to to continue to put together enough wins they have their odd one-off moments um i'm not sure i'd I'd still put them at the same quite the same level as portland north carolina because personally i think those two are just cut above everyone right now but i definitely think think chicago's up there in that that i do not in any way shape or form see them not wait making the playoffs this season
0: okay because i look at the red stars and we've discussed this before Not sure if it was on or off a podcast, but it seems like whenever they start to get to a point where you think, all right, the Red Stars are there, they're going to rip off four or five in a row, they'll do something weird like lose at home to Sky Blue. And then whenever you think the Red Stars are stale and need a whole bunch of changes, they go out and they win a couple of games in a row, including uh, Sunday where they pounded the rain by four goals.
1: Yeah, like I, I think that they've proven over the years that they're they are a team, and they still have enough of, of those players from those earlier teams that, that they're they're going to do at least just enough to make to make it there. And that was before they got Sam Kerr, who can drag a team with her if need be. So, yeah, I think they're going to have some of those weird games, but they have a great talent for getting draws. First of all, and. Um, not as much this season as in previous seasons, but remember last season, that was their draws were the difference in them making the playoffs. Yep, or not.
0: Absolutely. Because they, they, they struggled have, early and they just kept getting draw, draw, draw instead of loss, loss, loss.
1: Yeah. I just think they have a way to get enough results. They're very much a, a sort of grind it out kind of team when they need to, to at least make it whether, I don't know that they have enough to, to do well there once they get there, but they have enough to make it.
0: Well they have Sam Kerr and we've talked a little bit about how Kerr maybe has a little bit of a cross to bear in her career with not really turning up at her best for the biggest games that she's been in but it's undeniable that in a playoff format where you just have to win twice including once maybe at a, on a neutral field if you're in the final and not playing the Courage this season Sam you know having Sam Kerr there means you can they can do whatever they need to do once they get into the playoffs. They just need Sam Kerr to have a big game. It doesn't know how they have to win, but having her there makes them absolutely a threat.
1: Well, I kind of see this as, as, I don't know, maybe the opposite way. Like, I think she could be the difference maker between this teammate and the playoffs and not. She does that extra thing to get them sometimes a result when they they probably shouldn't. Um, it's, the, it's the question of, do they rely on her too much? And when she is shut down or when she does go quiet, as in you know, like say the semifinal last year, can the rest of the team step up enough? And that I think is the problem with Chicago.
0: Now I didn't get to really watch the game against the rain. Um I know you watched it and we'll get to the rain in a moment, but how satisfying or how satisfied are you with the fact that they were dominating that game with Kerr not on the scoreboard? Yeah she got on the scoreboard late to make it four nothing. I know she had an assist. But remember, when she left, they had three straight games. They didn't score any goals. And she came back and they started scoring and
1: getting results. Yeah, I, I think she had a good game overall. But I think, I think Morgan Bryan had a particularly good game. I think her movement, her runs were very, very good. Her her late runs out of the midfield um, might, might be my player of the match, actually. Um, and it was sort of, you know... Aaron Wright was playing higher up. It was kind of a, a right place, right time when she scored her goal. There was a long stretch after they scored those first two in the first 15 minutes about the rest of the the first half. I thought the rain kind of came back into it. Um, but for the second half, they just, they smothered everything and they were, they were good in their possession. Um, I, I think the whole team was playing well. I think there are gaps in their defense, but as, as offensively, I think not only was Kerr doing enough to, to draw attention and to, playing off other players, but I I really particularly like the way their midfield was pushing high. You had Juilliard getting in scoring positions. You, like I said earlier, Morgan Bryan, but DiBernardo got a goal. I think their midfield was probably the best part of that team today.
0: And really their midfield should be good more often than it has been. I could, you know, I'm looking at the table right now and I'm not convinced that the Red Stars are in the definitely going to make the playoffs group maybe a little bit by default because the rain are just ravaged by injuries. The dash and Royals are kind of falling off, but I I don't think the courage have played nearly their best so far this season. And yet they're still in second place. I don't think the red stars, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say they haven't played their best because I'm not as confident in what their best is as I am with the courage who had that great season last year and basically returned the same team. But the Red Stars have to have a much higher ceiling than what we've seen so far this season. I can't think of one game where the Red Stars have done what I would call clicking on all cylinders.
1: Yeah, I don't know if the Red Stars ever completely dominate a game from start to finish. Even, you know, like this game 4-0, they were very clinical in putting away their chances. But like I said, there was a long stretch where I thought for sure the rain were going to get back into it. And I think... There was one moment. It was late in the first half when Ali Long just had a, a golden opportunity and skied it, and I think that could have changed the entire game. It would have just shifted the momentum, the the timing of, of the opportunity and everything. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree that they they maybe not all fired on all cylinders, and I I have some questions about their defense. But when you look at a not you know a, a league where nearly half of the teams make the playoffs, four four teams out of nine. I just – I cannot see the Red Stars not being part of that. Like, like I said, I'm not sure that what they're going to do when they get there, but I cannot see them being falling out of the top four.
0: Now, how about the rain? Is it ju- obviously, the injuries are, are plentiful, but, I mean, you know, the first game without Fishlock, they went into Portland and won, and that was still during the World Cup, so that wasn't the real Thorns necessarily. But it hasn't been good since then. Latko did, a in like a day and a half, changed around his entire roster – but, I mean, I don't see them overcoming the loss of Fishlock. Casey Murphy's been good, but she's still young. They don't have any depth. at goalkeeper, I um, mean, I think they'll play better because I think and andanovsky teams improve over the course of the season. But it's almost like they've had to reboot midseason after such a nice, you know, very slow very early and then a nice run to get to the top of the standings. But, I mean, I, that Fishlock loss is just a devastating absence now
1: yeah fishlock so is huge i, I kind of put them in the group of in competition for that fourth spot but just more by default of they're not really bad whereas i think there's a couple of teams on there that are just pretty bad um and and too it depends can they get megan rapino back i'm not convinced we see her play for the rain at all this season
0: yeah, you have to you have to be wondering about that, and until you forget, you didn't play for them before the World Cup either.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that could be a difference maker. Um, today they were just they they were slow, they were sluggish. They just looked like they weren't there. Like they hadn't really, like they maybe like looked like they'd played a midweek game or they had traveled. You know, something was just off with them. And you would think getting a player like Ali Long as good as she's been for them would have improved them. It's almost like they, sh- she did, I think, individually did good. I, it was almost like the team didn't quite know how to play with her yet. Maybe that's because they've had to bring in so many new faces that the chemistry isn't there. But I have faith in Blacko as a coach to get the best out of players in a team. Um, I'm just, I just, I see their injuries as, as really being too much for them. And I, I think they're just going to float around that sort of five, six, seven mid-table kind of range
0: they also had an attendance of seven four seven nine that is a franchise record they sold the place out cheney stadium that combined with playing slow and looking tired is a red flag to me because they shouldn't have been tired because they didn't have a midweek match and you've got to come out better than that in that sort of atmosphere like certain things should get you fired up and if You know, if you're coming out slow in front of a record crowd for your first home game since the World Cup, that's that's a big red flag to me.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure what the answer is either. Like, I don't know what the reasoning behind them going slow was. And it's not like they're typically a team that starts slow. They just looked they just looked off. I don't know if it was just a one off game, but yeah, you're right. That should have gotten them fired up. I mean, I think Ali Long even tweeted about it, how, how great it was to hear the crowd behind them.
0: Yeah, you know, was the crowd into the match throughout? Because, I, I mean, it, you know, they yeah, were I losing thought, from early.
1: No, I thought that they, they sounded loud. Like, I wasn't, I didn't really know. Obviously, I don't release the attendance figures till the end of it. But I thought they sounded, it sounded like a full, engaged, loud crowd.
0: And they're the third team, by the way, who set a franchise record for attendance since the World Cup. The Red Stars also did it. Yes, that includes double headers they've had with the fire. And the Thorns did it. And the caveat on the Thorns is that they were capped out at 21-144 prior to this season. They went over 22,000 the other day. So they very well could have gone over that number prior to this. Um, but that was also a Wednesday match that where they broke the franchise record, which is Very impressive. Uh, I thought the sky blue crowd on Wednesday night, I don't know if this was evident watching it, but being there, 5,003, their second best attendance ever. And if you're wondering why did they announce a sellout and it wasn't actually the record, well, having been there for the night that they set the record back in 2015, there were actually temporary bleachers set up that night, which I believe were because the uh, Rutgers soccer season was about to begin it was a little bit later in the summer and they set up the temporary bleachers, so those were not available to them so that's where the extra people came from but the crowd was kind of like you know it's kind of like all right we're here but we're not really into the match and we're not really going to cheer we're just kind of here checking it out and we'll kind of see let you know whether we're coming back or whether we're into it was that was that evident on the stream or no?
1: Yeah, I, you never really hear a whole lot of crowd noise coming from, from your sack. And I don't know if it's... Well,
0: there's usually nobody there. Typically,
1: I was going to say, I don't know if it's typically the size, but because it's more of... It's not as much of a, a stadium, which tends to kind of keep the noise inside. It's a little bit more open. I, I don't know. Um, but you could hear them, but it didn't sound like any, any other kind of normal game. where Yeah, you can hear the crowd cheer when something happens, but it doesn't feel deafening.
0: All right, that's uh, about enough for segment one of the Equalizer podcast. We'll come back, talk about some of the teams that might be falling off the pace as the NWSL hits its second half with Chelsea Bush. I'm Dan Loletta on episode 70 of the podcast. Episode 70, segment two, Equalizer podcast, Chelsea and Dan, with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast at your earliest convenience. The better ratings and better reviews that we get from you, the more great content we can send your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Chelsea, before we go to the teams that may or may not be falling off the pace, please rate and review the North Carolina Courage, because I was wholly unimpressed with them against the Royals, yet they still did enough to win the game. They're still only a point out of first place. I think they have so much room for improvement right now, and they're still a point off the base.
1: I thought that the second half um, was closer to maybe what we'd call vintage Courage than we've seen in a while. But, yeah, for long stretches of that match... They just, and they haven't, I don't remember the last time I saw a game where I'm just like, oh, they just dismantled that team, which, and maybe our expectations are too high um, Probably. because of last season. Yeah. I think there, there was nowhere to go but down from that season, to be honest. And I think, but I, I have big, big, big questions about their defensive shape. They're, they're stretched all over the place. And Urseg and, and Dahlkemper don't seem to have that rapport that they used to, or, where they just kind of locked it down between them. Um, Matthias was getting torched, absolutely torched, by Kristen Price in that first half. And...
0: and Dahlkemper, too, was trying to help and didn't do a real good job
1: either. Yeah. And I think that McCall Zerboni, you and I've talked about this a little bit off the air, McCall Zerboni has not been as, as solid. She, wasn't even, she didn't even start that game. But before that, she hasn't been as solid as we expect from her. So they're having Denise O'Sullivan play deeper, and I don't like her playing deeper. I think she's – I get you, you kind of have to to get her on the pitch in that four-person midfield, but I prefer her higher up the pitch.
0: Yeah, I think I do too, and I think teams have also figured out that it's really difficult to get around Jaylene Hinkle, who I don't think is having the same type of season that she had in 2018, but she's still pretty tough to beat around the corner, so they're going after Matthias on the other side and it's been fairly effective. I think Matthias is a nice player on a good back line, but I've, I always thought that getting called into the national team camp was a bit of a, a bridge too far, I thought, for her.
1: Well, she, that was never going to happen if she wasn't playing on the Courage. You know, I think they made her look a little bit better than she was. But I, I agree on Hinkle, and I think you just – Ursa, Hinkle, Doc Kemper, Zerboni. I think there's a number of players you can say that were just absolutely outstanding last season that have just kind of come back to earth. And, and it's kind of settling across the entire team. Now, on the flip side, I think that they've actually gotten a little bit better in their finishing. They're, they're not quite as outrageously inefficient as they used to be.
0: Well, Lynn Williams didn't play the other night, so that helps out.
1: Fair, with your, with fair call. With
0: your you know finishing efficiency. But they beat the Royals, and you know I got a little heat – on twitter about this that the royals are falling off the pace and yeah all right i get it they're only three points out of a playoff spot and the dash are only two points out of a playoff spot and the dash one now but my goodness that second goal that the royals gave up they turned the ball over off a throw-in then Corsi has hamilton beat by about two strides and hamilton is a good player but she's no burner uh, you know with speed Somehow Corsi winds up in a slide tackle, which she misses. Hamilton keeps the ball, sends in a below average cross, but there's so much time and space that McDonald just kind of goes back, gets it, settles it, and scores. That might be the worst goal I've seen a Laura Harvey team give up since that 2013 Seattle Rain team.
1: I thought Corsi could have done better on both goals, to be honest. I, I think she had an awful game. She, she was giving them all kinds of space.
0: I agree, but what would you have rather her done on the first one? Because it was just her and Hamilton and Hamilton took the ball down kind of awkwardly. I feel like of course he goes for that ball and misses it, then Hamilton's one-on-one with the keeper and I thought she made a great... I don't think she finishes that more than three out of a hundred times.
1: That's fair, Uh, but I think she should have closed her down anyway. I I think that you just... you don't wait to see what's going to happen. You have to take that that opportunity and force force the, the player force the forward into making a decision and her rushing their strike. And if, if it gets past you, hope your goalkeepers up to it, but I, I think you have to make a move there.
0: Also fair, but I think we can agree then that it was a team failure because there was nobody else backing her up.
1: Oh yeah. I think, uh, yeah, they're outside. Was that the one where their outside backs were just non-existent? Or was that the second goal? Cause I remember one of them clearly thinking where well, are they, think, both their full both. backs were caught out. I would say months, the second
0: yeah. one, because the first one was Mewis kind of sent it forward, whereas Hamilton on the second goal came on the outside. In fact, I watched it and didn't realize it was Corsi and just assumed it was, was it Bowen, the right back?
1: Yeah. And yeah, I still don't I,
0: know where she was.
1: Yeah, because I remember looking at the screen, you couldn't see Bowen or O'Hara anywhere. They, they were clearly caught at the pitch, which is something North Carolina does particularly well.
0: Right. And also, again, they turn the ball over on a throw in. So I think that's on time. I remember one time I I think it was Rory Dames, actually, I said to him a long time ago, I said that so and so I forget who it was, got caught upfield a few times too often. And it was an outside back. And he said, well, yes and no. She got caught upfield. But also we turned the ball over at really poor times when she would have had reason to believe that she could have been in that advanced position. So. You kind of don't blame the outside backs for being forward, if the if when your team has an offensive throw-in. I mean, they turn it over right off the throw-in, which is unacceptable.
1: Yeah, that's terrible. You you can't do that.
0: So are they? I mean, is there hope for the Royals? Because they're, Laura Harvey said something like, "We need to start to be tough to play against again." And if we win games one-nil, we win games one-nil. I mean, I you know I don't really think that's a recipe for great success. But there, there's something missing on this team at this point, because they were pretty good early on winning one nil. I might add.
1: I, yeah, I think that I put them as sort of my middle tier is where they can be in competition for that last playoff spot. Maybe um, they're, they're not at the same level as the other three teams that are going to make the playoffs, but Kristen Press is, is an ex- excellent form right now. She's agree. She's the one scoring goals for them. And she's going to continue to do that because she's Kristen press. So That, at least, you can count on, although not next weekend. Um, Right.
0: She's taking on players, too. I feel like if you just watch her in a vacuum, if she takes on defenders, that usually means she's playing well. And when she's not taking on defenders and a little bit more tentative, then that's usually an all-around problem, I think.
1: Yeah, but I have also think that I've given up on seeing any sort of interplay between her and Amy Rodriguez. I mean, there's occasionally passing the ball, but that's not – You want to see your top two strikers have a a chemistry like, say, like Sam Kerr and Yuki Nagasato, where they kind of intuitively play off of each other. And we just we don't see that. Uh, It's bizarre to me. I feel like when when press is on fire, Rodriguez is kind of invisible. Um,
0: They don't play well at the same time. And that doesn't even mean in the same game. But maybe like press plays well minutes 10 to 20, Rodriguez minutes 50 to 60, but never at the same time.
1: Yeah, so it's it kind of eliminates, it's not going to be like a one two punch. It's just a one punch. You can kind of just say, okay, that, you know, I'm just going to focus on this one for now, which is probably playing with fire a little bit. They're, they're bound to, to take advantage of that, but I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit, but you get what I'm saying. But also, I, I just I don't think Utah's midfield is good enough. I think if you have Vero on the pitch, she's going to be creative, and she does work very well with Kristen Press. They, they have a good chemistry. But I don't think that Jan's daughter's doing very well and i don't think that scott's doing enough to stop transition play yeah um, scott's not
0: the player she was in kansas city
1: yeah and i think john brings brings a lot of energy to the pitch but she just the, the end product isn't there what are you doing with that energy are you are you forcing turnovers are you you know creating chances i'm just not sure that, that much is being generated out of all the, the running
0: that she does, she reminds me of early days Jess Fishlock because I thought when Fishlock first came into the league, she was really energetic and most of us hadn't heard of her. And she would, do, you know, run all over the field and win balls, but it wouldn't do enough because she would give the ball back right away. And I feel like Yonssater is kind of the same thing. She'll go into any tackle aggressively, but does her play actually create positive results
1: for her team? Yeah, and I I think that with those two players and your three person midfield that they're just that's causing problems on both ends of the field for them.
0: Now, how about the Dash because they're obviously coming off of a win now over Sky Blue, but that Portland game, which neither one of us really saw much of, was um, disaster is probably the right word to use when you're down four nothing before anybody blinks, and they just don't they just don't they just don't win games that they're not supposed to win. Like, you know, they don't go into Portland and steal a result and they don't. And it's not just this season. They've never done. Like, I can't remember more than a couple of times where they've won games. And like, oh wow, the dash actually won that game. It just doesn't seem to happen for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, like two weeks ago uh, when they hosted Chicago, I was at that game and they were the better team. Every, everyone, Chicago media that was with me, Roy Dames everyone knew that the dash were the better team, but they go down and go early and they just couldn't. That was a game where they should have have sold a point against a better team because they were the better team on the day and they didn't. Um, I was asleep during that match and and I woke (laughs) up and saw the results and was like, Oh, well, I don't think I missed too much from some points of view. I mean, it's pretty clear from that, that result, what, what happens. And we've seen that with the dash before they, they just collapse in on themselves sometimes. And, Four goals in half an hour is, is blatantly unacceptable.
0: And yeah, I was for any in the team, even, was, even
1: though Portland is, is absolutely fantastic right now, that's blatantly unacceptable.
0: I was in the Ursac field press box getting ready to go home, and someone kept yelling out updates Oh my goodness, it's already two nothing! And then about three seconds later, it was three nothing, and then four nothing. And so I decided not to come home and, and watch that game in the middle of the night <laughs> as it was 5 nothing <laughs> yeah. when i got there i did see washington defeat sky blue now washington is 6-4 and 3 they are 3-4 and 3 if you take out the fact that they have they swept the season series three matches against sky blue which is not quite as easy maybe as it was a season ago i am really curious where this team goes from here i thought rose lavelle was sensational in that match But I also thought the match was played at a really slow pace, like maybe the slowest paced NWSL match I've seen all season. And I don't (laughs) think that I don't think that flies against better opposition.
1: Uh, Washington Spirit are in fourth place right now. I don't see them. I, I see them kind of making mid table. Maybe they'll float in and out of that fourth place spot, but. If they, they keep that fourth-place spot, somebody, Rain, Utah, somebody's got to screw up somewhere. Um, and I think they were kind of – they started out so strong out of the gate, and I think we're seeing them kind of come back down to earth. And that was kind of bound to happen with having so many rookies on that team. I, I completely agree. I think Rosalovell was fantastic. I think Mallory P- Pugh played really well and was was making a lot of, of good movement, good off-the-ball movement inside the box and on the ball as well. Um, but you look at – I just look at some of their players that – Stood out earlier, you know, Sam Staub, Jordan DiBiase. Um, and re- recently, I think they have just kind of quieted down. And I think we're seeing that sort of mid season struggle that rookies tend to have when it comes to playing week in and week, week out because they're, they're just not used to it.
0: They also had um, a new coach, tons of new personnel. And now all of a sudden, everybody's got the blueprint. Everybody has tape on DiBiase and Staub, and everybody has tape on what Richie Burke wants to do as a head coach. So Not that easy. Also, Lavelle was limping around with a bit of an ankle issue and she said, quote unquote, I'll be good, which is exactly what she said in the mix zone after the England match of the World Cup. And she went on and scored against France. uh, Sorry, against the Netherlands in the final. So we'll see what happens. But the national team playing this weekend, Spirit then didn't play on the weekend. But if they I mean, somebody has got to move up, though, right, because we just basically said the rain, the dash and the Royals are all struggling. I think the pride and Sky Blue are too far out of it. So I, it's there for the Spirit if they can get the results. I'm not sure they can, but I'm interested to see. Yeah, I
1: I would think the Reign, the Royals, and the Spirit could probably rotate and kind of maybe argue over that fourth spot. I, I don't really see... Houston's still in it right now, but I don't see them quite just doing enough. They also have played uh, more games than any other, any other team, including two more than... The Royals, the Reign
0: and the Spirit. So I think for the spirit, it'll come down to can their midfield dominate other midfields? And I think they'll get there. But if you've got Sullivan underneath, Lavelle and DiBiase, that's pretty good. I love Hatch as a target player. And if you can get Pew in some space, talent is there. As if their midfield can start dominating, maybe they've got a shot. And Bledsoe's been tremendous
1: yeah I think maybe it's just a season too early for them. I think they they all need to kind of mature and and get to know each other more. and unfortunately, we're going to have a same a similar situation next year when so many players are coming in and out that I think that negatively affects them. Um, but yeah, that they've put from what they were the last two seasons, it's this is kind of incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, the last two seasons, they looked like their midfield wasn't even there and now their midfield. Can legitimately lay claim to maybe being, you know, a middle of the league midfield. All right. uh, Long segment here, segment two. We'll come back a little bit more NWSL talk, maybe a bit about the U.S. national team heading to the Rose Bowl and some of your questions. This is episode 70, segment two of the Equalizer Podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. And believe it or not, we are on episode 70. And it's time for the Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by Sports Reference, where they house their soccer content at fbref.com. And the fourth goal for the Red Stars was scored by none other than Sam Kerr. And that opened up a new club, the 70 Goal Club. In the NWSL, she's on the fast track if she stays to being the first player to reach the elusive century mark. And when you consider all the regular season games she has been eligible for, this is only game 148 that she has been eligible for, has missed a bunch over that time, scoring goals at better than one every two games, 70 goals for Sam Kerr, some for the Flash, some for the Uh, sky blue team and now some for the chicago red stars and uh, could be on her way to golden boot number three in a row as well as two in a row in the australian league so brand new nwsl club the 70 Gold club one member that is sam kerr and that is the sports reference stat of the week brought to you by sports reference with new and improved women's soccer statistics every day at fbref.com that's fbref.com and Chelsea, I had a conversation with some folks earlier in the week about uh, who was who the best player in the World Cup and who has been the best player in the world over the last six or eight months. And we were kind of saying, you know, you forget how good Sam Kerr is because she's not scoring the 17 goals that she did a few years ago for Sky Blue and, and you know, and scoring four goals in the second half. It's almost like her expectations have risen to an unrealistic point and you forget all about her.
1: I think that's fair. I think that, that kind of goes back to what we said about North Carolina earlier is someone plays so well, your expectations just get higher and higher. Um, yeah. I, in, I'm not sure there's a better striker in NWSL right now. I'm not sure. No, I don't think They've, there is. NWSL had a better striker.
0: I would agree. All right. Let's get to a couple of questions. Maya Hersler, This one came in last week. I responded a little bit uh, via Twitter, but given how little Jill Ellis makes relative to other coaches, Why doesn't she push for equal pay in coaching? I'm glad the relative to other coaches part was mentioned because Jill Ellis does quite well for herself. Um, And I had a two-part answer to this, which is number one, Jill Ellis, um, by nature, doesn't speak out that much. Sometimes she does it kind of subtly, but she's just not one to speak out a lot. But the other thing is that it's really difficult as a coach. There's really not that much bargaining power that you have. As a coach, I, you know, if, a, if the best player on your national team doesn't play, that's a problem. If your coach isn't there, you can find another coach. And then another point, well, you make your point, then I'll get back in. But that, that, that's my answer. It's not her personality, and it's really hard as a coach. It's totally different from being a player where the players can get together and demand stuff.
1: Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was thinking. She's, she's far more replaceable than Alex Morgan, to be honest. Um, it, coaches get there's coaching turnover, whether it's club or country is so commonplace. Um and quite frankly, how many people would, would be too upset if she I mean she's not the most popular. And so yeah, I, I think they could come up with a reason if they if they really if she rocked the boat too much. And um Yeah, she she's she's their employee of of US soccer in a different sense than the players are. Um Unless they want to form like a coaches union, which I don't think that, that they're going, you know, the various women's and men's youth and senior coaches. What's bargaining power comes in the in, you know in numbers, and it's just one of her versus all of U.S. Soccer. Whereas the women's national team has come together as a whole; they're the entire team, and and they they have an infinite more uh, marketing power than a coach does. So she has no leverage.
0: You can also play. A World Cup or a league, and it doesn't matter who the coach is, if your players aren't up to par, then the World Cup won't work and your pro league won't work. So even if they did get a coaches union and they said, oh, all the NWSL coaches are going to be on strike this weekend, it's fine. They'll find someone. They'll find someone to put a lineup together. Players are what – the players matter. I'm not going to say the coaches don't matter, but the coaches don't have that bargaining power, like you said. And somebody responded to me on Twitter, and I hadn't thought about this, the best way to get bargaining power is to get other suitors. So the best way for Jill Ellis to, to get more money from U.S. soccer is probably to say, oh, by the way, England wants me to coach them and they'll pay me this amount of money, you know, and then they'll find out if U.S. soccer really wants to keep her. And I don't see that happening either because I just don't think there's a lot of those jobs to go around. And I don't know if U.S. soccer would match it, to be honest with you. I, I think it's tough. I do think it's tough. She, I also again um, Jill Ellis, you know, the numbers that we saw compared to Jurgen Klinsmann were a joke, but that doesn't mean that Jill Ellis is struggling, you know, to pay her bills, I don't think.
1: All good points.
0: Next one is a little bit higher up the screen and I was thinking, all right, Tom Stidman, question for next week. This was also from a while ago. Do you I think we see a Washington Spirit merger with DC United. If so, why or why not? It gives them guaranteed Audi field dates and stronger marketing support. My first thought here is if MLS teams wanted in, they'd be in. And the fact that I'm not hearing it or seeing it, like if LAFC wants in, then why are we not announcing this now? What better time than right now to announce it if LAFC really wants in? Spirit just got a new majority owner, so I'm thinking no. Uh, but I also think that there's enough Audi field dates that should be open that they should be able to get them anyway if they, if they want them. But I, I don't, I don't think there'll be a merger. But who knows?
1: I also want to caution against thinking that being aligned with a men's side makes for stronger marketing support because I think we can tell from some of the other teams that that's not always the case. Um, I'm thinking more along the lines of Houston right now. I don't think that they. I've been in Houston a significant number of times um, over the last, whatever, six years, however many years, and I don't, people don't, still don't know that team exists there. So I I don't think you can say that they're automatically going to get stronger marketing support from DC United.
0: Just out of curiosity, because I don't spend a lot of time in Houston, how does that compare to the Dynamo? Because in New York, the Red Bulls and NYCFC, you know, the soccer people know they exist. Other people sort of like know there's a team, but they're not really highly thought of in this area. So are the dynamo, how high up the charts are the dynamo?
1: I don't know that they they're highly thought of. Um, I don't think they get you know terribly great attendance as far as you know MLS average goes. But if I tell people I'm going to Houston, if I tell people that I know in Houston I am coming down for a game and they, they don't know me really, really well, like say like people I, I encounter through my, my job, Uh, They'll say, "Why are you going?" I'm going to soccer again. Well, you're going to go see the Dynamo. No, I'm going to go see the Dash. Do they have a women's team? I've I've had that conversation with hotel staff, people. I mean, just people at restaurants, people you encounter. It's just. And how often is
0: that? How often is that response? Like the deflating voice, like, "Oh, there's a women's team."
1: More often than I'd like.
0: Absolutely. Like, oh, you cover soccer? Great. Who do you cover? There's a women's team. Uh, not,
1: you know, I mean, that doesn't, I want to say that really, that's not always the case, but it's no, not enough that I've noticed.
0: And less so, but it's there a lot. All right. Woe so Joe. What do you think is missing from the Royals? Coaching, talent cap, just falling short. And then the parentheses is literally as Erseg and Mewis towered over the Royals' attack all, all game. Uh, and certainly a good point. Erseg and Muis are, a. I don't know that there's ever been a taller combination of uh, midfielder and central defender um I, I don't know i mean i i i think it's been well documented that the press rodriguez thing um doesn't make for dynamic soccer as we feel like it should i'm not sure rodriguez is uh nearly back to where she was before the pregnancy in the acl although i think she still works very hard um I don't know, but I I don't see. I mean, they're not as good as the top three teams. I don't think there's any debating that. And you know, it's time to start looking at Laura Harvey as a coach that has been to the playoffs two times in six years, and maybe looking at two times in seven years.
1: Yeah, and I would also like to say, you know, she's been pretty open about how married she is to the four three three, which is I would say is probably the most common formation right now. Um, but maybe maybe start changing things up a little bit. See. If, if a formation shift can get something better out of your personnel, because I just don't know that being good but not good enough is acceptable. They have the talent to be better.
0: Well, wouldn't it work most out? Parts of the field. Couldn't it work out if you had Scott and Jan's daughter on top of the back four and then press and, and two other midfielders and put Rodriguez a little bit more alone up top?
1: Um it could yeah
0: obviously in the middle of that midfield
1: yeah, um so like a what a four two three one
0: exactly, which that you know some of those players did very well under Vlako.
1: yeah, i like the I like the uh the d- double pivot of of Scott and Jan's daughter. I think that kind of helps for some of their shortcomings. I think they can make up for each other um uh, that's interesting. who would you put as the because they, they kind of use different players. Sometimes Katie Stengel's out there. Sometimes Lola Bonta is out there. Who would you put alongside those three on the out wide opposite of press?
0: I don't think Stengel is the right type of player.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Not that, that
0: role. I think she's the she would be the backup for Amy Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a good question. I, I'm going through their roster in my head and I don't know that there's anybody obvious. Um Labanta might be it. I do think that would be the weak spot on the on the field. But you know, you'd have a pretty good left side with O'Hara behind Press. And if you could just get Press to feed the ball to Amy Rodriguez, you could have something special. And we already know that Boquette can pretty much find anybody. So I, I don't have the answer. Maybe,
1: maybe Laddish?
0: Yeah, Laddish is in, in an interesting option. Um who's the Player who was playing outside back earlier in the season, the rookie player came in and and was in, in O'Hara. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she can play in an attacking midfield role on the other side, but yeah, it it would definitely be the weak link. But I think it would be interesting and worth a shot. Yeah. Anyway, but they've they've got to do something because what they're doing right, and it's not you know they're not they're not like totally definitely worse than everybody else but you know it's like all right we've been doing this long enough now and something's not something's not clicking it it doesn't feel right at this point all right speaking of not feeling right um u.s national team will play at the rose bowl against ireland coming up this weekend so nwsl matches will have no national team players again I would like to stress that this did not happen in 2015. I know they played a 10-game victory tour, and I know by the end it was pretty brutal to watch. But, um, you know, you've also got injuries. Lavelle got hurt. Rapino it looks like, probably won't play. Um, just quickly, what are your thoughts on that, and what are you looking for from the U.S. here?
1: I will never support them missing in the WSL 4. International friendlies. I I can't get behind. Especially now, you're not gearing up for a tournament. You've got plenty of international windows coming up. I don't see why they need to, to you know, pull from, pull them from the league. And then, God help them if Lavelle gets injured. Um, uh, other than that, they're playing Ireland. I don't I don't think they're going to steamroll them like say Thailand. I think it's going to be a comfortable win. I think it'll be. They're just going to be out there. You remember the last week tour. They're just going to be out there having fun and celebrating that. And they do deserve that. They do deserve to be celebrated. That that I didn't get down with. Yeah,
0: and they're going to have the regular players in for this one. And then the September-October dates will be the 23 World Cup players. If there are injuries, I don't know at what point that Jill Ellis can bring in somebody else. But if you're looking for the experimental stuff after the World Cup, that won't come until November and it is the quote-unquote victory tour so you are celebrating the players who just won the World Cup which I like you said I'm totally fine with um I yeah I mean you know we're blue in the face already I think with the league being interfered with by these friendlies I don't get it you know you've got Megan Rapinoe is on Rachel Maddow at you know and Rachel Maddow says how can people get involved. Well, support the NWSL. Oh, but my team will be on uh, an ESPN game in Houston and I won't be there. You know, I I don't get it. Don't get it. Never will get it. But that's the deal. I think the U.S. will win the game. And uh, I think it'll be fairly uh, non-compelling. What what do you think of that? Ouch. Well, look, there's not a deep for friendlies in the women's game and I I think Ireland is okay and they might get more out of it than the US does because like you said the US is just kind of coasting along we saw the news by the way that FIFA wants to fast track the World Cup to 32 teams for 2023 I would rather know where the World Cup will be than add teams to it but that probably makes Ireland a World Cup team if they go to 32 like I think if they go to 32 then Ireland will be expected to make it.
1: Yeah, they could. That's that's still quite a lot of competition over there. But yeah, they, they should be much closer, much more of a contender than they are now.
0: All right. On that note, we'll be back uh, in a week and we'll have another national team less NWSL weekend to discuss, uh, plus hopefully a relatively uneventful U.S. Friendly against Ireland at the Rose Bowl, which 20 years ago was the site of the World Cup final against China. For Chelsea Bush, I'm Dan Lauletta. You've been listening to episode 70 of the Equalizer podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters.